Hello, everyone. I want to welcome you to the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. This is your host, Pete Quinones. I invited Stefan Kinsella to return to the show. I noticed that Stefan the other day was posting on Facebook, and he was rather upset about people saying that China is, quote-unquote, stealing our IP. So he had mentioned doing a podcast on it, so I reached out to him and said, why don't you come on my show and talk about it? And we did. So... Stefan is a patent attorney, an expert in IP. He is the author of Against Intellectual Property. He is going to explain uh, why intellectual property is wrong, using his term insidious. And then he's going to give an explanation as to why China isn't stealing our IP. And then at the end, we're going to talk a little bit about the USMCA and how a lot of it is just transferred over from the TPP and how so much of it has to do with intellectual property. So without any further delay, here is Stefan Kinsella. Stefan, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you for uh, agreeing to kind of host this uh, this rant of mine. <laughs> well, I know that a lot of people are going to want to share this with people who aren't libertarians, who don't know who you are. So if you're going to take on this going against the president and going against everything that we hear in, from the media, why don't you give your background and what's your expertise? What's your field? Sure. Uh, so I'm a libertarian. Okay. I shouldn't start out with libertarian theorists because that's not impressive. I'm a patent attorney in Houston. I've been a patent lawyer and an intellectual property attorney for 25 plus years now. Um, I'm an American. I'm in Texas. Um, and that's what I do for a living. But I've written a lot on this topic from libertarian and free market points of view. So I've come to certain opinions about basically how horrible the entire IP system is in America, IP meaning intellectual property, patent and copyright. So, um, and I write on libertarian topics too, like a libertarian theory, rights theory, and things like that. So I'm into Austrian economics. I'm an anarchist. I'm a Rothbardian. I'm a rights guy. Um uh, but my perspective is even though I'm pro-capitalist, I'm pro-free market, I'm pro-property rights, I'm pro-prosperity, uh, and I'm a patent attorney and a copyright lawyer, I've come to believe that patent and copyright, which are called IP, are two of the most insidious and evil institutions um, that humankind has devised. And they're not quite as bad as the war as war or the drug war, but it's in a way worse because it's more insidious because everyone thinks of it as property rights. And so even libertarians get confused on this topic, and it just drives me nuts to hear people talking about it and then talking lately about it as an excuse to hamper trade with China because China is stealing our IP. And that's what got me going on this topic. Well, yeah, I saw that you were – you almost seemed to be in distress making this Facebook post about how um, this whole thing about China is stealing intellectual property, and you said that you can pretty much explain that in you know 20 to 30 minutes. So I'm not going to hold you to that time, but you said that, hey, you needed to talk it out, so I invited you on. So why don't you just jump off wherever you want to start from and say why that's a false premise or completely false? Well, and the way this started was – I mean and this has been brewing in my head for many years now, but recently with the IP theft kind of complaints that you hear back and forth in the media, and you'll hear people that don't know anything about IP or law or free market policy. They'll just kind of have casual comments you know, about uh, China stealing our IP, like China's the bogeyman, right? Um, a, a friend of mine, an acquaintance, was doing a debate defending – roughly the right side on this issue and asked for my comments to help him prepare for his debate. And so I said, well, I can explain it to you, but he wanted me to write it up. So I wrote it up in this kind of quick email and I, I, I said, you know, I, I just need to kind of talk about this because I have a podcast, but my podcast, honestly, is it's not like a Tom Woods or your kind of podcast where I'm trying to do a lot of original material or get an audience. I just basically over time needed um, – I keep getting interviewed and do uh, speeches and things, and I, I needed an outlet just for an RSS feed. So my podcast is 99 percent not original. It's stuff like this. Like this this will be on my podcast. So my podcast feed is just a collection of things I do. So 
I thought I'm not going to rant to the microphone because I'm not good at it. Like like Tom Woods on occasion on his podcast, like one out of every 15 episodes, he'll just talk into the microphone. And and I thought talking to you because you and I have even talked about this issue before would be would be good. Um, so that's what sparked all this. And so I guess the best way to kind of put it to any intelligent audience who really has heard these buzzwords, right? IP theft, China, intellectual property, innovation, all these ideas. Um, and I can't argue it here, and I don't think I should. And you and I have talked about it in previous shows, and I've, I've gotten other lectures. But there's a, a good case to be made that intellectual property law – which basically is patent and copyright law, which is the government giving people monopoly privileges over their patterns of information, like inventions and books and novels and films and um, paintings and things like this, um, is completely unlibertarian, anti-free market, anti-property rights. Is basically a form of slavery. Uh, it, it it reduces our wealth. It impoverishes us. It leads to the police state, to be honest. I mean there are so many bad things about IP law. It's I can't even go into it uh, without having six hours, right, which I've done before, by the way. I did a, a Mises Academy course for about seven or ten hours on IP theory and just going into systematically what's wrong with all of this. So you guys got to take kind of my word for it, and you'll, you'll hear it as we go through this, that you have to assume that Government-granted patent and copyright law, there's something deeply wrong with it. Now, the common thing you'll hear from most people, most mainstreamers, most minarchists, most libertarian party types, oh, well, we need uh, – it's in the constitution, so it's a good thing right? because the constitution says that the federal government of America, which I guess is somehow supposed to be relevant to liberty. This is another thing that drives me insane. Why the hell does what the American Constitution says have anything to do with libertarian theory? I thought we were supposed to be humans and universalists. I mean America is not the end-all, be-all, and this central government that was set up in 1789 that has become the biggest and most powerful state in probably universal history is supposed to be – I don't know, some paragon of what? Limited government? I'm just so sick of these American uh, constitutionalists and founder worshipers who say, oh, the constitution was about limiting the government. What the hell are you talking about? It was setting up a new government that had more power. It's insane. I mean it's just insane. So the fact that the constitution had a clause saying Congress can pass patent and copyright law, yeah, they're constitutional. Congratulations. You know, So was slavery. I, I don't even see the point of making that argument, but <clears> – <throat> So you can't get mired in that kind of stuff, right? That kind of crap. But then you see, of course, you see it's mired even in this trade war talk with Trump. You'll see people, even some libertarians, start saying, oh, well, like Tucker Carlson, who's quasi whatever. Oh, yeah, uh, immigration depresses wages. I mean, so like no one gets anything right except libertarians, and even libertarians mess up the IP thing. So it just drives me crazy, right? So. I guess my point here on this narrow issue is we keep hearing China is stealing our IP. You'll hear this over and over again, even by freaking libertarians. I mean like Russ Roberts, who is the econ talk guy who I admire and revere, listen to his podcast. So he had a podcast the other day, and he had he said something like, oh, I don't care whether our trading partners follow free trade, but I do care if they steal our intellectual property. Okay, Now – so he's repeating this line that we hear over and over and over and over again that China is stealing our IP, right? Which is just another variation of the common wisdom that there's such a thing as IP and that we should have IP and that IP is somehow related to innovation and that the government gives us this thing and that helps us prosper and blah, 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 right? And that we need to stop theft. And if you're against theft and you're for property rights, you have to be for, and if you're for innovation, you have to be against. Uh, intellectual property, so-called theft, or other words they use for it like piracy, right? Other euphemisms. So this entire thing, but if you ask anyone, you ask anyone, and I guarantee because I've done this many times, anyone who has an opinion on this, except for people like you and I, even libertarians like me that are not ex- not like me, but like you, like that are not experts on IP, but you have the right position on it. 
you have the right position for the right reason. Like you have a skepticism towards government power. You understand the problem with monopolies. You're in favor of free trade. You have a default presumption against government's claims to come in and do this. So I admire these libertarians, right? But the ones that just weigh in and say crap like, oh, we have to stop IP theft. And if you ask them, well, what the hell is IP? What the hell is IP theft? What are you talking about? What is China doing? What are you talking about? They never have an answer. They don't know what they're talking about. So my view is that there's two classes of people. This is like what Spooner said about the people that defended the Constitution. They're either like knaves or dupes or fools or whatever, right? So the people that run around spouting off and say anything positive about IP in this trade context are either idiots who don't know what the hell they're talking about or they should just shut up and listen to people that know, right? Even your local patent lawyer would know more than they know. So wh why would you talk about something you don't know? Like they can't tell you the difference between trademark and copyright and patent and trade secret and the other things. They don't know what they're talking about. Or they're liars, which is I think a part of them. Like they're basically special interest groups. They 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 they, they kind of sense and they know that they need IP um, law to keep going to further their interest. And to be honest, from what I can tell, although I am pro U.S., I'm pro West. But the U.S. has become the biggest imperialist and powerful nation in history and a purveyor of a set of interests that push Western-style patent and copyright law on the rest of the world. And that's primarily Hollywood and the music industry and the pharmaceutical industry. So Hollywood and the music industry push copyright because you see this all the time, right? Don't steal our stuff. Don't pirate our stuff. Uh, if you're watching a movie, you'll see a freaking FBI warning before you watch it. You might go to prison if you – I mean it's, it's, it's insane. It's fascist, right? And then on the other side, you have the pharmaceutical industry, which depends upon extremely ridiculous monopoly prices because of the patent system, but also because its costs are high because of the FDA regulatory system. So all these government things are intertwined, right? The, the government basically hampers and protects the pharmaceutical industry with its FDA and other laws. Like, And then they complain that, oh, our costs are higher, so we have to have a, a room to make profit, and it's too easy for people to compete with us if they can just copy our, our drug designs, and the FDA makes us – during the FDA review process, makes us reveal our pharmaceutical compound processes. We have to remake that public as part of the review process. So by the time we've gotten our seven-year review process over and we're, we're ready to make the drug, all of our competitors are chomping at the bit. They're ready to start competing with us because we didn't, we couldn't use trade secrets because the government didn't allow us to, right? And so it's unfair. It's unfair. It's unfair. It's unfair, right? It's so unfair. We have minimum wage laws to comply with. We have uh, tariffs to comply with. We have immigration costs to comply with. We have taxation costs to comply with. And so our costs are so high that it's so hard for us to make a profit selling a drug where only one out of 20 make it that we need the government to come in and give us an artificial freaking monopoly for 20 years, which is the, what the patent system does, so that we can recoup some of our costs and keep this whole bizarre, rickety – scheme going right this is the whole narrative and no one thinks of it this way because we like innovators and we like drugs and we like capitalism and we like profits but this is what's going on right so you have this whole system where th these are not capitalists these are not free market people these are not libertarians they're they're saying the government needs to come in and regulate the market and give you protection from competition to give you the way to make enough profit to stimulate you, to incentivize you to do what you're going to do even though the government's taxing you on the other hand. So you're trusting this huge this huge rapacious state which harms you on the one hand to come in and give you a few special privileges on the other to kind of make it up to you so that you keep this whole rickety system going. I mean that's really what's going on. So it's the pharmaceutical companies and the Hollywood and music in the U.S. And because the U.S. has such a powerful control over the world because of the Bretton Woods monetary system and the aftermath of World War II 
and our inheritance of the British. I mean, just the way everything worked is that's the position we're in now. Okay, that that's the way I look at it. And I can I can break for a second if you want to ask something, but that that's kind of where I'm heading. I mean, I want you to get more into just how this these laws are used to stifle innovation, things like that. Uh, right. But the whole thing about China and stealing the IP. Um, why okay. don't we get that yeah. out of the way so that we can, uh, you know, we can get into some well, theory. Okay, so a little bit of theory first because. Okay. So I can't get into how the laws stifle innovation, but the basic idea is that the way the market works is inter- independent independent people use private property and they they interact with each other and they have a free market and they innovate and they create and they they save and they invest and they you know over time human humanity progresses and then we accumulate knowledge too. This is the thing everyone seems to ignore. There there are two big factors in my view and this is this goes back to Mises in Austrian economics and praxeology. His, his basic simple, simple, simple – everyone thinks it's complicated because his word is bizarre, praxeology. It just means the logic of human action, the study of human action. Um, if you understand that, you can see that there are two fundamental criteria or, character, or things that we need for human progress, success, and prosperity – which I presume we're all in favor of, and if you're not, I don't really want to have a talk with you. You know what I mean? It's like the people that we're going to have a conversation with, we're all in favor of human prosperity and and, 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 and peaceful cooperation and that kind of stuff. And to do that, everyone needs to follow their own plans and use resources and count on the future and count on the ability to use these things. Otherwise, you can't you can't plant a seed and expect to reap the harvest in a year because someone might take it. So you have to have property rights. You have to have security and stability in your control over these resources. So that's the whole purpose of property rights, right? Um, but the second factor – and so the ability to control and use and access scarce material goods and resources is one key to our success as human beings. Um, in a social context, then we need to have rules that – Tell us you can't take other people's stuff so that you can you can use these things in a long term way and have longer term uh, plans and more production and more wealth and all that kind of stuff. But the second thing is that everything we do is also an action that is a use of a means or use of a resource, but is guided by knowledge. That is what we know about the way the world works and what we know about how we can combine things. To make things work in a different way or in a more efficient way, etc. So that's the knowledge part. So human action basically is the combination of the use of a of a scarce resource, okay, which com- combined with knowledge to guide that use. And the reason, in my view, is that the human race keeps progressing roughly over time, and especially in the last two hundred years since the Industrial Revolution. Is because we reached a tipping point where the accumulation of, of scientific and causal and technological knowledge reached a point to where we started being able to provide a surplus and overcome the Malthusian law of you know people living like herd animals and things like that and nomads and roving things. So profit started becoming possible, right? Accumulation of capital started becoming possible, wealth started becoming possible. And the only hope for the human race, in my view, is that we keep expanding the number of people partly because that would expand the division of labor and the markets that we have to trade, but also – and also diversity and the things we could learn from each other. But also it would expand the number of geniuses, not just hyper geniuses like Einstein, but just the really smart people who come up with new ideas, new ways to manipulate Nuclear reactors or materials or airplanes or or smartphones or technology, whatever, because these ideas, once they once they work, like Uber, for example, once these ideas work and are demonstrated, an idea can spread like wildfire across the human race and it can it can electrify and energize and empower everybody, um, which is what is the amazing thing about information is like it's the second part of human knowledge, human action. Like the first part is is scarce resources. We can't duplicate square footage on the earth. That's limited. Like the resources in the earth are finite. 
to some to some degree. But the knowledge that we accumulate keeps expanding. So the key to human prosperity, I believe, over the next trillion years, I, I, I don't know how your why your time horizon is, but it is the accumulation of knowledge. And so everything that we can do to encourage and enable the exchange of ideas and the learning of information and even in the free market context, competition or what we call emulation, like you copy someone. You see that they did this. They did something that pleased the customer. They did a production technique that worked. They had a new uh, – they, they have wider aisles in their supermarket. They, they, they have a music streaming service that works a certain way. They have a, an iPhone – they have a smartphone that is a touchscreen instead of buttons like a BlackBerry. Whatever. These ideas will gain hold because they work or they don't work, and these ideas spread like memes across society, and they make us richer. And everyone can dip into them and take – Advantage of the knowledge as part of the human patrimony, right? Um, and so, yeah, a bunch of Randian capitalists are going to think this sounds commie, right? Because they think you want they want you to own everything, because they think that, God damn it, if you produce something, you should own it, or if you do something valuable, you should have the right to make a profit. Now, to my mind, that sounds Marxian. I mean, you don't have a right to. To, to, to diddly squat. You don't have a right to anything because, of course, this is why, why libertarians oppose positive rights. If you have a right to something, it means someone's got an obligation to provide it to you, which means they're your slave. Okay, you No, you do not have a right to make a profit off of a good idea. You figure out a way to do it or you don't, and you come up with an idea and you spread it publicly or you don't for your own reasons that are public or private or elemocenary or whatever. So this is highly, highly, highly compressed and I'm, I will say emotional, but you know, th I, I'm passionate about it, not emotional. But this is what I've been thinking about for so long, and it just drives me insane. So back to the China thing. Okay, so we have China. Now, let's face facts. Uh, U.S. is better than China in most ways, I think. Okay, some people might disagree. I, uh, Jeff Berwick might disagree. I mean, he's you know these these libertarians say things like, "Oh, the U.S. is the worst country in the history of the world, except maybe for North Korea. Maybe. Oh, thank you for granting us that. Right? Whatever. Okay. I'd rather live in the U.S. than China, but there are pros and cons. But China is not a fully developed capitalist country. They're obviously becoming more capitalist. That's why they've become wealthier in the last thirty years. Everyone knows this. I don't think anyone that has a brain bigger than a crickets denies this right but they're not perfect and neither are we by the way no one is so okay fine what's happened in my view here's the grand overview of what's happened in terms of international trade and free trade and international agreements and the intersection of that with the way we view property rights capitalism versus socialism and intellectual property Okay, so after World War II, the U.S. led a Western coalition to expand global free trade. It was managed, and it's not what you and I would favor because you you and I would just favor zero tariffs. I mean, very simple. It would take two sentences. I mean, it's easy, but that's not what they did. But still, over time, the WTO, the GATT, various agreements over time, regional agreements like NAFTA. They're not perfect, but they, they, they roughly expanded international trade and international um, intercourse, right? which in a way led to more international in interdependence, which I think is a good thing because it makes it harder to go back and start becoming more economically isolationist. right? But the problem is as part of these agreements, the U.S. was the hegemon and the West was the hegemon, especially led by the U.S., and of course we were – we were controlled by our different special industries like the military industrial complex, the agricultural industry, pharmaceutical industry, Hollywood, and music, <laughs> Okay, just to name a few. And two or three of those are heavily, heavily, heavily dependent upon American version IP. So of course they're going to start calling it intellectual property instead of a monopoly privilege. They're going to stop calling it patent and copyright which sounds like the royal privileges which, which they originated in, they're going to call it property. And then over time, over time, people have short memories. The populace gets used to it. It's in the Constitution. You know. So 
it's it's all part of American capitalism. God, freedom, democracy, red-blooded Americans, all love IP, blah, 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 and we hate the Chinese. And so now the narrative is this. Trump needs to come in and blow up existing quasi-managed trade arrangements with China because they're stealing our IP. At the same time, they're saying like, you know, we have uh, we have a trade deficit. Okay, so you know, so they're mixing in economic illiteracy with their theft arguments, which are kind of normative, but no one really knows because no one knows what IP is and they can't define what they're talking about. So when they say China's stealing our IP. There are two or three possibilities as to what they mean. Number one is China is not respecting international copyright and patent agreements in their local enforcement as good as Europe and America are. Okay, That's one argument, which is true. Uh, America is way more draconian and fascist in how we enforce patent and copyright law. Than Europe is, and they're more draconian and fascist in how they enforce it than Turkey or China are because these countries are being dragged, kicking and screaming into a system where this kind of nonsense about how if you make a, a knockoff of a Louis Vuitton purse, it's going to be seized by the cops and burned in a pyre like a like an ancient Berlin book burning thing. It's bizarre, right? But that's kind of where we are. Um, so, but they're being dragged into it because of American U.S. imperialism and, and hegemony, and because the Chinese are just trying to make money and the rules are trying to keep power, and they're, they're trying to, uh, you know, do what they need to do to to satisfy the Americans. And everyone seems to believe in IP, and they're they're supposed to be kind of quasi capitalists now. So, blah blah blah. So, what happened was over the years since since 1940 since World War II, the U.S. and the Western powers have slowly um, use these treaty systems to impose obligations on other countries to adopt slowly over time into their local law a version of Western-style patent and copyright law. Okay, so you have the Berne Convention, you have uh, you have the Madrid system for trademarks, you have um, you've got the uh, you've got you've got the Paris Convention for patents. And then you've got uh, the GATT and the WTO, all these amazingly convoluted systems that basically – they basically are part of the the downside of managed trade, which is that you and I would like just open borders, managed trade, no tariffs. But what the governments do is they condition it. They'll say, OK, well, Mexico has to have higher environmental standards. And they have to crack down on their uh, – they have to have a higher minimum wage. And the whole purpose is to impose more costs on them so that they're not as much of a threat to American workers. I mean it's all managed trade, unionist, leftist crap, right? But IP stuff – and environmentalist stuff too, of course. you know. Um, but the IP stuff is too. So for example, NAFTA had IP provisions. Um, in other words, Canada and Mexico had to comply with modernized patent and copyright protection schemes. Um, the main problem with the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was uh, being negotiated by Obama's administration when Trump took office, the main problem with it was the whole heart of it was an attempt to get Asian Pacific nations to start protecting American IP to a higher degree. In fact, to get Canada to – Canada wanted to be part of it, and we said you can't become part of it unless you improve your IP law. So Canada bumped up part of their copyright law by 20 years just to match the US version just so they would get a seat at the table. So this is just an example of how the Western powers, especially the American uh, – they, they use this, 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 this treaty system to try to push their agenda onto other countries. And of course this is not unique to IP. They do this with – all parts of foreign policy, like uh, the Iran sanctions, you know, all this kind of stuff. But the point is that IP has been worming its way through the IP system of the world system because of Western and American pressure, right? Um, and so then the question is, but what exactly is China doing wrong? 
even by our IP standards. Number one, they're already a part of all the major conventions, the Berne Convention for Copyright, the Madrid Protocol for Trademarks, the Paris Convention for Patents. They're already part of that. They might not be enforcing it as as draconianly as we would, but that's a local matter, and not most countries don't either. I mean I'm sure you go to Italy. You can buy a knockoff Louis Vuitton purse on the wharf somewhere right? or Turkey. This happens all over the world. It's even in America. You can go to some New York City side streets. I mean you can't, you can't stop every little violation of, a, of an irrational draconian law. Uh, I guess you could threaten to behead people like they do in Iran. Like, I, I mean you know, the whole thing is it's like what do they want? But the point is this. When we're accusing China of IP theft, I don't think we're talking about that because they're already a part of these agreements, and there are mechanisms in place. So you could bring China to some arbitral tribunal or some kind of international convention settlement dispute mechanism, and you could say, listen, you guys aren't doing what you promised to do as part of your deal with this thing. If China does not enforce its own local copyright law or its own local patent law in its own territory to the extent that we do here, that does not mean it's stealing IP. In fact, China has no international obligation to have IP law at all, so they only do it as a matter of choice. Right? Every country can choose what property laws to enforce locally. That might include IP law. It might not. Most of them do because of U.S. pressure. So when we say China is stealing IP, I don't think we mean that they're not enforcing IP enough because over the last 20 years, China has gotten better and better – not better from my point of view, but they've gotten better and better from the American point of view at becoming more American-like. Like you can you can actually bring a lawsuit in China to sue someone for patent infringement of a, of a Chinese patent. What are your chances of winning? I don't know. What are your chances of winning here? I don't know. It's it's not a science. It's not like it's 92 here and 12 there. I mean they're both fuzzy and hazy, but they both have these quasi-fascist systems of protectionism and control, and they both have patent systems. So the criticism of China is not that. Now, the other criticism is that China has people that are – uh, doing espionage, corporate espionage, or kind of breaking into companies trying to steal their trade secrets, which is another type of IP. It's not patent or copyright, but they're they're trying to infiltrate us and get our information. Now, I don't know whether China is especially guilty of that, but I have a feeling that they're not any more guilty than we are. It's just like when we complain about how Russia interfered with our elections. It's like, what are you? Who are you kidding? The U.S. hasn't interfered with elections. I mean, what? What? Why was this even a crime? I mean, where is it illegal for Russia to try to influence our elections, especially by buying Facebook ads? The whole thing is, you know, ridiculous. So, what I think they're really talking about, Pete, is China doesn't have a totally free market. So, therefore, if you're an American company and you want to open a factory in China to make your Apple iPods or your iPhones. Or your or your MacBooks or your iPads, you want to make them cheaper, you have to open a factory and you need permission of the government. This is the way it's always been because local governments control their jurisdictions. This is local property rights law. Now this gets into the weeds of international law and trade law and legal theory, but if you think about it in a common sense way, the issue of free trade is about tariffs and international trade, goods flowing between nations, and whether or not the countries should impose barriers to stop that. Barriers based upon security or military interests or tariffs or protectionism or whatever. And of course, you and I think we should have free flow of goods. Very simple. So that's what that's what a trade agreement would be. It's just like let's lower our tariffs. Very simple. So our people can trade with each other. Very simple. Now whether or not an American company can invest in a Chinese in China, like have a factory there, is going to be subject to local law. So apparently what they do is they say you need a permit. 
You can't open a factory in Wuhan province, which is closed down now because of the, the, the coronavirus, but you can't open a factory there unless you have permission. Just like you can't here, by the way. The permission might be a little bit more open here because we're supposedly capitalists, but it's the same in every country. Europe, Spain, Latin America, Africa, Asia, it's always the same. Well, even, you need permission. Even of, in the most – even in Hong Kong and Ireland where you basically fill out one piece of paper to start a corporation, you st right. you're if, still getting permission. If you need a license, you need – that's what license means. License means permission. Everyone forgets this because they think of licenses like, oh, I licensed my IP. But license means permission. Okay, That's what it means. So you don't need permission unless someone has the right to stop you. So – the whole idea of a license depends upon a preconceived notion of property rights, right? But that's the way it is. So what happens is the, the local governments say you can't open a factory here in China unless you agree – like we're not going to give you a permit unless you agree to, to partner up with a local industry. Now, this sounds to me like protectionism, like, oh, we, we need to – the infant industry thing, We need you need to partner, partner up with a local – Chinese factory or firm because that way we can give jobs to the people. We can get credit. It's the exact same as Trump with NAFTA. I mean, or USMCA. He's like trying to say, oh, you know, we, we're getting we're getting cars in Mexico, but they had to agree to do this now. I mean, it's the same crap. So they basically say, Apple, you can't open a factory here unless you agree to do a JV, a joint venture with a local company. And Apple says. All right, we got to do that. That's part of the cost of doing business in China. So they do it. Now, of course, what's going to happen if you have Chinese employees and you have a Chinese partner, they're going to learn what the hell you're doing. They're going to see your processes. Now, that's called a trade secret. That's called proprietary information. Now, people think of that as a type of IP because it's a secret that you otherwise could probably try to keep for a few decades or years until your employees leak it anyway. But that's a type of IP. So they're calling that forced technology transfer. So what they're saying is an American company is being coerced or forced to reveal their – to drop their panties and show their goods right, as a cost of doing business in China. Now, I have no doubt that there's a bit of truth to that. Now, I have no doubt that there's a bit of truth conversely too because right now, aren't we, aren't we shutting down um, – Who's the big Chinese electronics company because they have they have certain chips in their products that we don't Huawei. like? Because Huawei? They, yeah. So it's like, okay, so basically all these governments use their territorial power to deny permission to operate in their territory if they don't like what you're doing, and they coerce you to do what they want you to do. That's coercion, of course. Of course it's coercion. But here's now here's the thing that gets back to trade law and international law. Um Traditionally, in the past, this issue of companies from one country investing in another country or having a factory there or a presence there has been dealt with with the local property rights and with the international law of what we call investment treaties. Okay, So there are things called bilateral investment treaties, and there are some multilateral investment treaties. And those are the things that say, okay, like America is going to have a deal with, I don't know, Nor uh, well, North, North Korea is a bad example. I'll say Myanmar or somewhere like somewhere like that. That's a dangerous country, or, or Saudi Arabia even. Like, and the, the 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 fear is that because of these revolutions in the past, or because they're banana republics, or because they're not, they don't have stable property rights regimes. The next government in power might just pass a law or have a regime that just comes in and, and – or like Cuba is a good example. Cuba expropriated the American companies right after the revolution in the late 50s, um, and so there's still ongoing litigation about who gets what. right? And so sometimes you have governments negotiate treaties between each other to try to say we're going to try to encourage our people to invest in your country, but to do that, they need to be secure in their investment. So they need to know that you can't take their stuff, which means you need to agree ahead of time in an international way that if you do it, it's going to be a big violation and they can be sue you in an international court, blah, blah, blah. So you have these international covenants, these international uh, arrangements between the large companies uh, like Exxon or Mobile or whatever and, and Saudi Arabia, or you have treaties between the host states and the other states.
Um, but the point is that these treaties have to do with local property rights, and in principle, in theory, I have no problem in general with this, although even these treaties almost always include intellectual property provisions. I mean so they always worm their way into things because of the Western interest and powers. Okay, But the point to me is this. International trade has got to do with trade agreements and tariffs, flow of goods. It's got nothing to do with people, flow of people. It's got nothing to do with international investment between countries, nothing. And so for Trump to use this excuse and, – and the excuse is – what's it got to do with anything? It's like saying China – we don't like China's dog pound laws, and therefore we're not going to give free trade with them unless they change their dog you know, their, their dog pound laws. We catch dogs and stray dogs in a certain way in the US. China doesn't do it the way we do it. So they have to comply. So it's just arbitrary. So my point is this. China is not stealing our IP. All they're doing is not – they don't have a totally free market for investment and opening up of factories, and that is not good. But they're improving actually. Every few years they improve. That's why they're getting better. That's why people keep moving there. And you know what? In the end, Apple doesn't have to open up a factory there. They get up in one, up in, one in, in, in Vietnam if they want instead or Cambodia or in California, and if they open up one in, in, in China and they understand that the risk is we have, to, we have to cooperate with a local firm who might learn of our factory processes and maybe some worker will take a photograph of our iPhone 17 and leak it to the internet, okay, that's a risk they want to take. But it's not an IP issue, and that's going to happen even if we don't – I mean even if China is perfectly capitalist and so are we, once you have capitalist factories and firms with many employees, you're going to have leaks. That's why companies can only rely on trade secrets so much to protect because they know that trade secrets eventually get out. They eventually get reverse engineered. They eventually get leaked. That's just the way the world works. It's got nothing to do with China. Um. And which is why, by the way, the patent system – one of the arguments for the patent system is that, well, because you can't you, – you, it's, 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 it's inefficient for companies to try to have to put up all these efforts to keep their secrets secret. We want to encourage them to release their discoveries to the world. We should have a patent system that gives them – say, so the whole patent system is not to encourage innovation. It's actually to encourage disclosure. If you look at the, the, the Constitution or the Patent Act, it says if you disclose to the world publicly what you've come up with, then we'll give you a temporary monopoly. So it's, it's called the patent bargain. It's a bargain. Now, it's all nonsense. Economic theory behind it is nonsense. Anyway, so that's where we are, and I actually left off a lot of damning quotes from some of our fellow uh, – I mean, dude, I got like this – you got foundation for economic education, the Independent Institute. You got Cato. They're scholars saying things that are just it's like it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. It's like, are you kidding me? You're in favor of IP. If you enjoy the show and you feel like you're benefiting from it, please support me on Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Mansrader. I just added a two dollar level, which allows you to get early episodes. Also on freemanbeyondthewall.com forward slash store. I have the same levels as Patreon listed on there, but you can do it by the year and you can do it for cryptocurrency or you can do it for fiat. Thank you very much. Well, you know what? I heard an economist, I'm not going to mention the name, on uh, the radio the other day say, and I just pulled up an article from 2011 and it was talking about fake Apple stores in China. And there was like two of them that they had closed. Well, well, this person, and this was last week, was stating that Apple has 42 official Apple stores in China, but there are more like 200, but provided absolutely no evidence for it and was just throwing that out there as, you know, just throwing a bomb out there. Well, and, you know, in my more radical phase now, I, I'm thinking like, what's wrong with the fake Apple store? Um Okay, so the the answer is going to be, oh, you're in favor of fraud. So like that's just what you hear. It's like this stupid knee jerk default answer that's totally unthinking. 
with no thought behind it. It's like, well, who – do you really think that you're going to have a store at a, at a known location that exists for a few months that people don't – at a certain point, they realize, oh, this is a fake Apple store? <laughs> hey, and guess what? If they keep going there, they don't care. So they're not being defrauded. So there's no fraud. It's like the people that go to the to the flea market in Atlanta and they buy a Louis Vuitton purse for fifty dollars. I'm sure they think it's a real Louis Vuitton purse. Well, yeah, the classic example is the twenty dollar Rolex. I mean, if you support the government or, or or basically Rolex being able to enlist the goons of the government to come in and seize these products. And your theory is that there was fraud. It's like, well, who's who's actually defrauded? That person wasn't going to buy a Rolex in the first place. Well, it's not just that. It's like this person decided to use their money in a certain way, and they're not – they're like literally not defrauded. Yeah. So yeah, you could make the argument that yeah, well, in, in the end, the – in the end, it's really a compliment to the to the original sellers because people want – they're so desperate to get – you know this this brand name that they'll that they'll buy a shoddy version but uh, yeah there's a lot of problems with the argument for ip mm-hmm. but the basic argument is a human rights argument like you have a right to buy a fake rolex if you want to just like a woman has a right to wear makeup on a date <laughs> i i mean you could argue that she's defrauding the guy because oh she doesn't really look like what she looks like when she wakes up it's all ridiculous. I mean, everyone gets so confused by this notion of innovation is good, capitalism is good, profit is good. It's good for people to work hard and to make a return on their labor. I mean, ultimately, honestly, and I've talked about this in other talks, but ultimately, the fundamental mistake is that people ultimately really have to believe in the, in the Marxian labor theory of value. In other words, they think that the source of value is labor, and if you labor, you have a right to a return. That's the idea. You'll hear people say this for IP. They'll say, well, if, if I work on a script for a movie or blah, 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 don't I have a right to a profit? It's like, what the hell are you, a Marxist? What do you mean? No, you don't have a right to a profit. You, uh, you could just as easily say I have a right to uh, housing. What's the difference? But both 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 views require other people to be your slaves. I thought we were libertarians. I thought you, you know, I thought we. Uh, and I'm I'm really so sick of this question. Like, so you'll you'll give the arguments. You'll explain. Okay, here's the problem with the confusion in your idea and why IP is totally contrary to private property rights and human justice and freedom and flourishing and capitalism, the free market and everything. And they'll just say something stupid like, well, how am I supposed to make profit on my novel? It's like, well, first of all, that's a f- question. It's not, it's not an argument. And do you, are, it's, it's very similar to liberals who say – so we'll say like, well, we shouldn't have a welfare system because that's not the – it's unjust, number one, and it's, it, it hurts the poor, number two, and – then they'll say, well, what do you imagine would be the system otherwise? And we say, well, I think that private charity would take care of it. And they'll say, prove it. Prove to me that there's a guarantee that charity will take care of every possible poor person for the rest of history. Otherwise, we're going to have to have socialism. I mean that's it's the same thing. They want a guarantee. They So just like leftists want a guarantee that welfare, a private charity will always be a perfect substitute – for their for their welfare state, you know these IP people they want you to guarantee that people can make a f- profit, but it's like that's not how the free market works. Profit is actually unnatural. Whenever you make a profit, expect to lose it because as soon as you make a profit, you send a signal. This is Hayek, right? This is Mises. You send a signal to the market. Hey, guess what? I'm making an unnatural profit above the rate of interest. And I'm doing something that really interests people. Maybe you should do that too. That's called competition, emulation, and learning. And guess what? There's nothing wrong with that. That's the free market. So profit is unnatural. So you make a profit, expect it to be whittled down over time, and that's why everyone says, if I'm going to stay on my mark and I'm going to stay on my toes, i got to keep coming up with new, new innovations. You know? 
That's People why I want to hear that, man. People that that, that is so no, that is so right. far into their ears. I wrote my novel, and that's it. I wrote my novel. I, I wrote one novel, and I should make enough money to retire forever. That's well, it. Com- well, come on, Stefan. You wrote the book against intellectual property. I mean, I have it right here in the living room. What if I just <laughs> go and copy it, and I put my name on it, and I start selling it? Isn't that wrong? <laughs> that's the other thing. I get. I, I get. It just. It's like, but. I get this kind of crap all the time. Like, oh, well, how would you like it if I took your stuff and I made a million dollars off of it? I'm like, I'd be pretty impressed because I would learn. I would figure out, oh, that's how you do it. You know, <laughs> I mean, what are you talking about? These people are, but it's not a serious argument because it's not an argument. It's a question. That's the one thing. It's a logical thing. It always drives me nuts. People, oh, look, an honest question is fine, but you can tell an, a loaded question. Versus an honest question sometimes. Um, it's not a sincere question. Like they'll say, well, oh, yeah, how am I supposed to do this? It's like you don't really want to know, do you? You're not really asking me this. You really are just using that as a way to bash the idea. Like you're basically just saying I'm not going to favor freedom because I don't like that you don't give me a guaranteed outcome or something like that. You know. Well, you've talked about all this China stuff. You mentioned TPP earlier, but – I think something that a lot of people don't realize is that um, this thing that Trump is championing the USMCA is how much of it is word for word from the TPP and other parts of it are just rewrites. So is that carrying over the IP that was included in the TPP? Is that carrying over to Trump's new thing? Um, I haven't studied all of it because there's, there's so many treaty systems that are hard to follow, but here's my general impression. Um, um, the, the, the NAFTA had IP provisions in it, which forced Canada and Mexico to comply with certain U.S.-style IP laws, which they did to a certain degree. Um, uh, the TPP itself – okay, so the, so the, if you remember, there was something called SOPA, the Stop Online Piracy Act, which was one of the few international things that was stopped. All the others keep advancing, and even if they don't win, their provisions keep get put into the next one. So the SOPA thing was stopped about seven, eight years ago because it was the Stop Online Piracy Act, and it would have radically restricted internet freedom to stop online piracy, right? Like six strikes and you're out, all these kind of things. So that was defeated because the internet for once woke up and realized, oh, there's a there's a threat here. So all they did was they, they withdrew it, and they took the provisions, and they put it in other things, and it still has come back in other forms. Including the TPP. So the bizarre thing about the TPP is the main purpose of the TPP was to promote – I mean there's a chapter 20 or 22. I forgot. It was the main chapter in it, the one that was leaked. Um, so it was designed to advance American intellectual property. And Trump, <laughs> bless his heart, the idiot comes into office and he vetoes or he, he jettisons the TPP. But he jettisons it because he thinks it's a pro-free trade agreement. Like he's so stupid, he's in favor of IP, and that's what the whole purpose was. But he jettisons TPP because he thinks it's pro-free trade, and he's not for free trade, although he really doesn't care because he came back and did it anyway, right? And he did parts of it through the USMCA, of course. So yeah, all these things are like these weird interlocking international and regional agreements and bilateral things. And U.S. pressure and Western pressure, Hollywood and all these things, it's really crazy. I mean um, so I, I think you, you can expect local IP law to keep gradually being enforced in an arbitrary, draconian way, in a selective way because they can never enforce it against everyone. Um, but maybe the pace of increase will slow down because you can only – I mean I would be surprised at this point if the U.S. succeeds in extending copyright term anymore. We've already got it to uh, over 100 years uh, on average, like life of the author plus 70 years or whatever it is now. I, I, the next time they try it, they're, like they're getting so many bites at the apple, right? So eventually the Beatles and Mickey Mouse are going to start falling into public use like in 70 years or 20 years or whatever, and we're just going to get used to it. But it will be all the old stuff by that point. But um, – and then what what my hope is is that in the meantime this is the one this is the one thing so in a way i think ip is one of the most insidious and evil and destructive laws that we have 
I, I, I recognize that the Federal Reserve and central banking and the war and the minimum wage and public education and the, the drug war and welfare, they're all horrible. And it's hard to really weigh them against each other. But the one problem with IP law is that unlike all the others, most libertarians can see that all the others are evil. And most people that finally get a bit of common sense can see that all the others are harmful. Um, they just are hopeless. They don't know the difference. They don't have economic literacy. So they kind of like, well, you got to have welfare or whatever. But they kind of know that it's all a basket case. But the problem with IP is that it goes under the banner of property rights and capitalism free market. So people – it has this insidious hold on our minds, and it has way more effects than we realize because, like I said, this treaty thing is just one little tiny sliver of what it does. The whole notion of intellectual property is embedded in so many aspects of human life. Like, for example, there's all this stuff now about Teslas. Like, if you buy a Tesla, it's going to have a control in it where you can't use, you can't modify your thing to, to get a, 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 a bootleg charging station to charge your Tesla. That would not be possible without this whole copyright idea that you don't really own your car, right? Someone else – you own the car, but someone else owns the right to control it because they have the IP and the, and the stuff under the hood. Like it's so insidious, but – so it's one of the most dangerous things out there, but – and especially because it impedes human innovation, especially patents, and that's what slows us down as a species. I mean we might be in the stars by now. We might have we might have 500 lifespans by now. We hadn't had the patent system slowing down innovation in the last 200 years. It's crazy. I mean, it, it it makes my heart cry with anguish about what we've done by slowing down human progress, by slowing down innovation and the accumulation of knowledge. Well, not only technology, but definitely pharmaceutical. There's no telling what we could have by now. Right, and of course, and that's so bastardized by the entire medical system and prescription system and the FDA system and it's it's distorted. It's so distorted too. And then culture is, of course, distorted. And then it's hard to put a technical or a economic cost on the on the the copyright distortion of culture. However, if nothing else, it has led to um, the, uh, it's led to control of the internet. And the internet's a big tool of freedom. And you don't want the government having any excuse to control the internet. And that's what copyright gives them. So. Those two things, I would say patent is the worst evil, copyright's next, trademark is a distant third, trade secret's a distant fourth, and then you have other subsidiary things. Uh, like, Well, defamation law actually might be third or fourth. Defamation law is also bad, You know, reputation rights, which is a, a type of IP law because all these things are based upon rights to things that don't exist in a physical form like your reputation, your ideas, your, your, your patterns. But the only hope that I have is that, number one, the spread of digital technology, the internet, encryption, smartphones, uh, interconnectedness is really, really has basically ruined copyright enforceability. I mean, piracy is rampant, which is a good thing. Um, it, it lets the government selectively enforce it and put some people in prison, which is sad, but basically they can't stop it. It's a tide of information they can't stop. Now, I don't think a similar revolution has happened yet for patents, and I do think patents do the most damage. So, but I think that revolution is coming, and that's three D printing, right? Combined with encryption, encrypted information. Like you can get an encrypted file of information about the device you want to print, and then your printer can print it. Um, now, I'm talking fifty years in the future, a hundred years in the future. Some of our libertarian transhumanist utopians think is coming in five years. I think they're crazy, but okay. I don't care whether it's, I mean, I care, but I think even if it's a hundred years from now, it, the human race will finally liberate itself from that and we'll reach another tipping point. Sort of like the industrial revolution happened because we reached a tipping point of um, the number of people in a division of labor in a free market economy with property rights respected and with a certain amount of technological knowledge that was developed in basically Britain, right, in the U.S. and, and Western Europe um, in the 1700s or whenever, and it finally reached a tipping point where these things started scaling and feeding back on themselves. And that's where we are now. We're, we're on this weird curve, which is great. And the government, of course, is parasitically feeding off of it and ironically getting more powerful because the government gets more powerful when its host – organism gets more powerful. So that's why the U.S. state is so dangerous. It's because the U.S. is so prosperous. Mm -hmm. 
So it's one of these good and bad things. The U.S. is prosperous, and really there's an underlying U.S. A free market economy that's powerful, but the government is a parasite on top of that. Um, so that's where we are right now. Well, we're right at an hour. If there's anything else you want to say, we'll start wrapping it up. I would just say this. Uh, let me send you a few. Uh, you, you're going you're to post this and have links, right? I'll send you about seven or eight links if people want to research some of this further, uh, which back up most of the quotes and the things I'm talking about if they want to look further. Um, but this is an important issue, and we have to be in favor of free trade, <laughs> competition, learning. And you got to stop thinking that there's a right to profit. There's not. There's no right to profit. Profit is unnatural. It's not a bad thing, but it's unnatural, and it's hard to maintain. Um, and so also I would think I – would, I would say this. Don't listen to the Randians who make <laughs> you think that if you, if you say what I say, that means you're an anti-intellectual or you're anti-mind. In other words, they had this almost Marxian view that – you know. If you believe in the value of the mind, you have to believe, it, I guess, in, in some kind of property right to it. Um, you know, most of us love our children and our wives and our parents and our countries and our favorite movies, and we don't claim to own them. Just because you value something or, or love it doesn't mean there's necessarily an ownership connection. Ownership is a distinct thing that's part of social relations. It's the domain of law. And it takes careful study because this stuff's not easy. It's it's one of these things that – I've seen this a few times in my life. I'm sure you have too. Hoppe talks about this in one of his recent talks about some of Mises' insights about praxeology, some of Hoppe's insights about argumentation ethics. Some of these ideas that you come across or, or just the marginal – the idea of marginal um, – marginal Utility, right? The idea that, that we the, the solutions that economics now takes for granted that baffled economists two hundred years ago. Um, they seem easy once you see it, and you wonder how could no one have seen this? How? But finally, when someone just puts it together, and then it seems obvious. And I do think that's part of what we have to do. This IP thing is very simple. I mean. I've elaborated here because there's so much confusion and there's so many things you have to unwind, and there's so much stuff you have to get through to just make people see that maybe there's something they've misunderstood. But honestly, if you talk to someone fresh that was fresh and didn't have preconceptions, that were just smart, you could probably explain this in three minutes, five minutes. Mm. And, and most ideas that are true I think are like that. The non-aggression principle is like that. You don't hit me, I won't hit you. Let's just live together in co cooperation instead of being enemies. I mean, this is not hard. right? So the, the, tr the true ideas are simple, I think, but they, they sometimes take a long time. The, 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 the conundrum or the irony is that a simple idea can be hard to see, but once you see it, then you see how simple it is. Well, the easiest one for IP and trademark and everything that I've always had is just asking people if they know the difference between copying and stealing. If they're open-minded, you can pretty much in less than five minutes get them to understand exactly the point you're making. Yeah. If they already have preconceived notions, of course, they're going to bristle and uh, yeah, they're going to fight back. Well, at, at, at this point, I, I mean, I've done it so many times. I know what the answer would be to that kind of question. I can always predict what they're going to say. So if you get someone reasonably intelligent and you give them that question, they'll stop and they'll think and they'll say, Okay, I agree with you that I'm not stealing your idea, but but you're stealing from me the profit I could have made. So they go to that, and then you then you've got to say, okay, well, do you have a right to the profit? Do you were, I mean, so then it's a question of well, who owns what is profit, and what's the how can you have a right to a flow of income in the future, which comes from material resources owned by other people. Who have the right to do it whatever the hell they want. They didn't have an obligation to give you this this fee for your chicken sandwich. You know, if you have a Chick-fil-A restaurant and I come up with a competing one that's better, I stole your customers. I stole your girlfriend. You didn't own the girlfriend. Just so we have to be careful with how we use language. We use words like steal, like steal the customer, steal the steal your girlfriend. Um, and that's because language is imprecise and there's that's unavoidable. But we have to be wary of reading too much into it. Well, I think this was a lot, and I think this is going to be uh, 
a good deal for people to chew on. So get me those links. I'll make sure to put them in the show notes. And um, I really appreciate it, man. It's always great talking to you. You too. Take care. Thank you. I want to thank you for tuning into the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast. I want to thank Stefan for coming on. That's it. Be back in a few days with another episode. Take care and bye.